So welcome to Leading in a Climate Changed World podcast from Olivia Mythodrama. Um, I'm Simon and you don't get to see me very often. Um, and I'm delighted, of course, to spend a few minutes closing out the end of season one uh, with our, our host, Robin Alfred. Uh, welcome, Robin. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, Simon. Good time to reflect on what we've been doing for the last few months. Definitely, definitely. So um, we started the podcast back in May, um, 16 episodes in uh, every fortnight. How do you feel it's gone in general? What, what are your thoughts so far? Well, I've absolutely loved doing the interviews. I feel like I've learned a lot. And I think it's fueling our own research for the kind of program that we want to develop. And it's also producing a useful podcast series in its own right. And what I've been touched by... I think firstly is the caliber of the people who have been willing to be interviewed. I think we've had some pretty senior influential folks, some grassroots people. I think we've been across the spectrum and also the wide range of views that they have about leadership, about the climate emergency, whether it's solvable, not solvable. Do we need to go fast? Do we need to go slow? Are we hopeful? Should there even be a, such a thing as hope? Is hope about denial? I mean, a, a very rich tapestry, I think, of responses and dialogues. So uh, across, you know, across all of the guests that you've interviewed, are there any kind of uh, consistent messages that you've received from, from these guys? I guess there's a consistent message that we need to engage. And that might sound a bit obvious, but in many ways, we've been looking away from the problem for a long time. And I think there is now a consistent view that the emergency is so imminent. It is an emergency. It's not just like, oh, there's global warming happening. The climate emergency is really happening. So I think there's very little scope for denial anymore that it's happening. I think the need to engage and the need to feel, I think feeling was quite a strong theme. We need to feel what we're talking about, not just have it as an intellectual idea. And that. Nobody I met was in total despair, hmm. which in a way is a good thing. So some people are more on the optimistic side and some people are a little less. But even, even those who subscribed, let's say, to the deep adaptation thesis, and we interviewed Jen Bendel, for example, as the, the father of that, even within that, there's a place for agency, there's a place for activity, there's a place for tuning into what it is that you feel called to do while not being in denial about the scale of the problem. So some people are more on the, on the on, I would say, in the mindset that says, we need to be really optimistic, everything is possible, like global optimism, Christiana Figueres and others are kind of talking about that. We never achieved a miracle by saying it's not possible. There's a kind of very front foot energy with some people. Other people are saying we are definitely heading for major systemic collapse. There's no doubt about that. But we're not necessarily heading for the end of the human species. And there is a lot of pain and suffering on the way. And we are creative human beings that can still make a difference. And that's what we're required to do. And I think along that spectrum, there were lots of different opinions about kind of exactly where each person was. But I think the need to engage, the need to really look at it, the need to place it as the number one priority of our time, those are very common responses, I would say. Mm. I revisited the, uh, the Jen Bendel podcast the other day, actually. And um, yeah, at some point, you're kind of 
pulling your hair out with despair and, and that others it's very pragmatic and you know you can really sense that and one of the messages that he was saying was yeah okay you know that not necessarily hope but you know you've got to be active in it but just don't you know aim for a particular solution because it's not going to happen I, I thought that was quite an impressive message from him yeah um, i agree and i think i think i think one of the things i also took out from from many of the interviews is the need to be in a way unattached to the outcome of what we're doing so we do what we do but we can't be fixed on, and therefore we're going to make it therefore we're going to bend the curve of emissions in sufficient time therefore in the next 10 years it's going to work you know we can't really be focused on that but we can be focused on what we're called to do and do that with a lot of courage and capacity and strength and vigor and determination and whether or not that bends the curve enough and whether or not that keeps us to 1.5 degrees is another question Mm, exactly um so um i mentioned before but we work in the the leadership industry um and one of the kind of topics that um seems to have come through from all of the interviews you've done is the fact that okay you know it's time to to stop looking at leaders but become the leaders ourselves do you think that sounds about right yeah, I do. And I was also very struck by the same names coming up many, many times when I asked people, where do you see the leadership that we need in the world right now? I mean, not everybody said the same thing, but many people pointed to Extinction Rebellion. Many people pointed to Greta Thunberg. Many people pointed to Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. I would say those three names came up probably more than any others. And for sure, some people then also named you know particular leaders of companies or particular leaders of provincial governments or particular individuals who are doing kind of amazing things on a more local scale um but i find it interesting that that those are the names that came up a lot mm -hmm. and what does that tell us there's, a, there's definitely a paucity of leadership that is visible on a global scale but there is a lot of grassroots leadership that is really happening mm, absolutely yeah it's good that we, we reinforced those few, um, but added a few others into the mix. I thought that kept it interesting, that was good. For many people, that, that has become the theory of change in a way, is that we can't any longer look to our political leaders or our corporate leaders to do what's necessary, that in a way there's a, there's a bottom-up movement of civil disobedience in particular. Jonathan Porritt, for example, spoke about this. He said, you know, it was a very interesting interview with him, he said, or I said to him, where on the planet do you feel is the political leadership that we need? He said, nowhere. Where on the planet do you think is the corporate leadership that we need? Nowhere. Are you hopeful? Yes. Why is that? Because, and Paul Gilding, who is coming in the second series, um, he says something very similar. Because the civil disobedience movement is going to get so big, and Extinction Rebellion is a game changer in this, and Greta Thunberg and Fridays for Future is, is a, a, are all kind of game changers in this. That's bringing such a pressure that in the end, the political leadership will have to follow and legislate, and in the end, corporations will have to follow from that. So, it's, so there's, there's hope in a way at, at the grassroots level to build sufficient critical mass and sufficient degree of concerned citizens that in the end, something will have to change. And then it's possible to change fast. That's also what, I, what I've learned that, 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 and I knew this in a way for a while, that we have all the solutions at our fingertips. You know, people have been working on this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We're not short of answers, but we're short of the political will to activate them. But once the mass movement maybe builds the pressure on the political leadership that it has to follow, the change can happen fast.
Excellent. Um, one of the questions you would you would ask the interviewees on an ongoing basis, and you touched on it very briefly just now, was about the qualities of leadership that we need to see in people. Um, what what do you think has been uh, well? What has struck you as interesting responses there, or, or common uh, responses that you've received from from your interviews? As I say, I think looking towards the problem is one of them. Mm. Being realistic is another. There's a, there's a big range of options around hope and denial. You know, I, I often ask people, are you hopeful? And some people said, well, hope is, what is hope? You know, hope is, hope is, is about being in denial that we're actually going to die. Or other people say active hope is what we need, which is hope kind of linked to action. So... I wouldn't say there was such a common set of qualities that people named around the qualities of leadership that we need. But I think there is something around resilience, something around courage. Actually, a number of people did talk about courage. So we need to kind of look, look really in a, in, in a detailed and precise way at what's happening, feel our way into what is our solution, and then have the courage to act on that. So I think those are probably common elements looking really at the issue, generating a response and having the courage to act on it, even if some of your stakeholders are saying you can't do that, even if the short-term market is saying that's not a profitable thing to do, even if you know, you're going to get some feedback that says you know, your job is going to be under pressure if you do that kind of thing, that the moral imperative is greater than that. And I think, I think there, was a, there was a common, because the people that we're interviewing are also seeing that there is really an emergency then what is the priority? Is it to maximize the next quarter's returns? No, it's to actually build a sustainable future. So therefore, we need to have courage to act on that. Great stuff. Um, so I, I'm, I realize you're already in this realm and you, you do a lot of this type of work um, for your own clients as well. Um, but is there anything that you've uh, discussed with the interviewees that's kind of changed your mind on things or something that you've learned that you didn't kind of realize or recognize before? I think in a way, as you say, I've been working at this for, for many decades now and building the new, you know, in the eco-village movement. But I think, I think to see it as a system is really important. So sometimes we look at something and we think like, what is the thing to do? But it's not so much about the thing to do. I think it's about seeing it as a system. And we all have a part to play in the system. So, you know, manning the barricades and being out there with the demonstrators in Extinction Rebellion, that's a part of the system. It doesn't mean that everything they say is the right thing to do, but it's part of the system. And another part of the system is corporate leadership. And another part of the system is political leadership. And another part of the system is grassroots initiatives and NGOs going to the COP meetings, the UN climate change meetings in Madrid and doing what they do there. Like, I think to really feel it and see it as a system and try to sense what, whether the system is ready to change, not so much like, am I ready to change? Yeah, I have a part to play in the system, but, but and, and therefore I want to be part of a movement that is enabling the system to change. And when the system changes, it can change in a, in a deep and, and transformative way. So I think that's what I, whether I've learned it or remembered it, or it's at the forefront of my, of my thinking now, I don't know, but it's, but it's definitely with me, the, the requirement in a way, or the encouragement to see it as a system and to know what is my part to play and our part to play as an organization in the system. So as you said, we do leadership development, so that's our part. It's maybe not our part 
to necessarily go on climate strikes. Maybe we want to do that as well in our spare time. But our part in the system is to prepare better leaders, you know, for a better led world. And that's, that's what we want to do. So what is, what is each part of the system needing to do? Sounds good. Um, so moving on to our, our new uh, series of podcasts in the new year, uh, we're looking to start up um, 22nd of January will be the first. And we've already, already got a few uh, people lined up for that. Um, is there a guest that you'd love to see? Have you got a, a dream guest at all? Well, as everybody would, I would love to talk to Greta Thunberg for sure. Of course. <laughs> uh, she's very hard to get a hold of. We have tried, but she's uh, a little bit busy at the moment. I'd also love to talk to Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand. I think she would also be great to talk to. I, we have already talked to Gail Bradbrook, one of the co-founders of Extinction Rebellion, but I think it would be very interesting to revisit the Extinction Rebellion movements because we spoke about six months ago, and of course a lot of things have gone on from there. Mm. So I'd be very interested to, to either re-interview her or to talk to some of the other people who are, who are prominent in the Extinction Rebellion. And I'd also really like to broaden the base. I feel like a lot of the interviews have been more with the kind of Western world, which is kind of where I'm based. But I do have networks that reach out across kind of Africa and, and Asia and South America. And I'd like to bring in some of those perspectives more in the second series to really broaden our perspective. Because otherwise we can feel a little bit like, well, it's coming at some point. But of course, if you're in some of these areas, it's already happening. Mm you know, and you're already suffering and flooding is happening on a regular basis in Bangladesh and Pacific Islands are already suffering and, you know, bushfires are raging in Australia as we speak. So I would like to broaden the range also in the, in the coming series. Uh, have you got any suggestions uh, for what our podcast listeners can do just in this, you know, few weeks break before we start up again? Well, of course, the best thing you could do is listen to all the podcasts again. Yeah. No, but on a serious yeah. note, I think, I think one of the things that I really notice around the climate emergency is that we can receive the news and not really feel it. So this is a practice that in, in, in my tradition and field we call global social witnessing. Like, can we slow down enough to really feel what we're hearing? So we look at the news, oh, bushfires are in Australia, that's terrible. Let's have another cup of tea. You know, we're not really, we kind of get the information here, but we don't really feel it. We don't really host it fully. And I think part of the response to the climate emergency is to be, is to be able to feel and host the realities of what the world and the parts of the world that we're aware of are experiencing now. And that's something that anyone can do. And one of the interviews that's coming in the second series is with Thomas Hubel, a spiritual teacher and mystic, and he talks a lot about that. That the part of the, the journey now is to be active witnesses. So there's active action, if you like, but there's also active witnessing. And the more we bear witness to what's happening, that also has, a, has an impact. So that's something we can all do. It's like a five-minute-a-day practice. You look at a bit of news and you spend five minutes really feeling it and, and noticing if you become numb, I can't really feel that. I guess to get it as information. Or you become overwhelmed with grief, sadness, terror, fear. Or is there a place in the middle where you can just touch it, feel it, host it, acknowledge it, and in some way receive it? And I think that's, that's a practice I would suggest to anybody who's listening. Because the more we can sensitize ourselves to really hosting and feeling the reality of what's going on, the more 
we then know what is the next movement in us in terms of the response that we want to generate. And that's absolutely perfect. So thanks very much for spending a bit of time so we could close down this, this first series of podcasts. It was great to speak to you. Anything you'd like to, anything else you'd like to say or put forward at all? No, I just want to, I want to thank you, Simon, and the team in the office for doing an amazing job turning around these kind of interviews that I'm doing and setting up a beautiful website and putting it out there. And I just really hope that it serves the needs of our time. Great stuff. And uh, look forward to picking up again next year. Cheers, Absolutely. Robbie. Thanks, Simon. Thank you.